I'm asking you for the last time, Dave Walker. You answer me, you dirty old man. I ain't dirty, Liz, baby. Liz, baby. Liz, honey. Can't you think of anything else to say, stupid? I gotta get this order over Miss Chauvet. She's one of my better customers. Can't keep her waiting. I love you, Liz, baby. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. This is episode 83, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Kelly, an old man from the Midwest. The idea of this podcast is to force me to watch films that are, well, out of my comfort zone. And for that, I depend on you, the listener. So next time you see a film that just seems crazy or insane or whatever, keep me in mind. I'll have information at the end of today's show on how you can reach me. But for this show, I'm going to do something a bit different. Every once in a while, I like to do a biography of an actor that maybe has gone under the radar. And and today, I'm going to look at an actor, a female actor, named Yvette Vickers. Say, I've got something you might like right here. Might help pass the time. Now, if you don't know Yvette Vickers, well, let me tell you, she was the best part of the classic films Attack of the Giant Leeches and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Stephen King wrote in his book on writing, When I lay in bed at night under my eaves, listening to the wind in the trees or the rats in the attic, it is not Debbie Reynolds as Tammy or Sandra Dee as Gidget that I dream of, but Yvette Vickers from Attack of the Giant Leeches. Leeches was an AIP Gene and Roger Corman cheapo with ridiculous blood-sucking monsters, and I love it. The film takes place in a backward southern town. There's a couple whose relationship is something right out of a Tennessee Williams play. The man is an overweight shop owner who has a beautiful young adulterous wife. It's a relationship that's, well, hard to imagine in real life. Stop looking at me like that. I'll look at you anywhere I want. You're my wife. Anyway, she's cheating on him with a young handsome man. And, well, their liaisons is discovered by the husband, who, of course, is carrying a rifle. And it all seems to be headed to a crime of passion when giant human-sized leeches grab the couple and drag them underwater. Come on out of there. The part of the young, sultry wife was played by Yvette Vickers. She played a similar part in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. That would be her specialty, 
to play a heartless and sometimes mindless hussy, but the real Yvette was nothing like the roles she played. When I first saw her, I became curious, as I often do, and I began to look into her. A quick search popped up two items. The first, she was Playboy's Playmate of the Month in July of 1959, and on April 27, 2011, her body was discovered in her apartment. And sadly, it may have been dead for over a year before her almost mummified corpse was found. And that made me sad. Not that a once beautiful woman was dead, or even that she was so alone that she could have been dead for months without being discovered, but the internet out there could only find these two things to talk about because with a little further research, they could find out that Yvette was a very intelligent, bright, talented, and happy woman. She was a five-foot-three-inch, voluptuous blonde with blue eyes. She appeared in TV and films mainly between the years of 1957 and 1963. She was born Yvette Lola Vetter in Kansas City, Missouri on August 26, 1928. Her parents were jazz musicians, Charles and Maria Vetter. When she was six months old, her mother brought her to Malibu, California, on a vacation to visit her sister. Her mother loved the area so much that she decided to stay, and soon her father joined them. They bought a home in Ramirez Canyon. Yvette said of those early days, Oh, I had the best childhood. My parents were truly wonderful people. We moved from Kansas City to Malibu, California when I was six months old, and I remember music being an absolute constant in our lives. They rehearsed a lot, and there was always jazz records playing in the house. Dad loved the tenor saxophone, and my mother played piano, and they performed in lounges all over the country. Yvette took dancing and classical piano lessons from her early days, and being that her parents were musicians, music was always an important part of her life. She went to UCLA to become a writer, but soon discovered she loved acting, and she received a degree in theater arts. In the magazine Psychotronic Video, she said, I was already socially active in L.A., I had bleached my hair and pushed up my bra to look 18 so I could get into any bar. Later, she remembered her first attempt to color her hair. I studied drama and worked in little theaters, but I was impatient for a talent scout to discover me. When I was 16, I bleached my hair as a bid for attention. I didn't know how to go about it and I made many mistakes. Instead of taking weeks, I applied peroxide and ammonia three times in seven days, and my hair got just like straw. My scalp had sore places all over. Even the color was horrid, an artificial orange that was unbecoming. It was in a drinking establishment that the new blonde had somebody walk up to her and ask her if she wanted to be in a movie. That sounds like a pickup line to me, but it wasn't. The man was scouting extras for Billy Wilder's picture, Sunset Boulevard, and she ended up with a small part as the girl on the phone, laughing, and she even had one line. <laughs> Say, when you're through with that thing, can I have it? <laughs> hey, you forgot this. An article from May 21, 1949 in the Los Angeles Times said that she was reminiscent of Jean Harlow as a dazzler. It was right after that, when she was working in the local theater, that she changed her name from Vetter to Vickers. 
It's odd to me, because if someone told me that she had changed her name, I would have thought Yvette was the change. Better to Vickers doesn't seem all that different, but it worked. Her first real job as an actor was in the White Rain Shampoo commercial. This little bit was at the end of all the White Rain ads, and it was shown for years nationwide. She said, I danced in the rain with an umbrella like Gene Kelly. It was on national TV, and I was paid about $100 each time it aired. Use new white rain shampoo tonight, and tomorrow your hair will be sunshine bright. White rain, white rain. After graduating UCLA in theater arts, she kept doing local theater. Monica West of the West Los Angeles Independent wrote in September of 1951, Speaking of dancers, everyone in town is raving about the two, Yvette Vickers and Lila Graha, who play the two witches in Dark on the Moon at the Players Ring Theater. They're really excellent and add a great deal to the show. Yvette did a bunch of plays, including Strictly Informal, Ring Around the Ring, That's Life, Broadway Scandal, Finian's Rainbow, and The Man Who Stopped the City. And there were a handful of TV appearances like one called I Led Three Lives in which he was trying to convince young college students to become communists. We're all your friends, Jim. We? I've been a member of the Communist Party for over two years. The review board sent me here to assist Comrade Elman. How about it, Jim? You ready to sign up? It was around this time she met and married her first husband, Don Perel. She was only 18 when they got married, and it lasted for about four years. They got divorced because she was concentrated on her acting career. As she said, I was only 18 when we got married, which I know now was far too young. I admit I was a little wild and hard to handle back then. I still had a lot of living to do. According to an interview she did in 1990 with cable TV host Skippy Lowe, her first film was the 1957 Shortcut to Hell, the only film James Cagney ever directed. Ma there? Louder so the cops can hear you. Hello, Ma? Listen, they're after Mr. Kyle, the cops. Why? Why? He paid his rent with a stolen bill. And let me tell you, she looks pretty good in that polka dot dress. A newspaper article about the film said, James Cagney, making his debut as a director in Shortcut to Hell, had to fill a role that would have cried two years ago for Anita Ekberg or Mansfield. Instead, Cagney chose Yvette Vickers, a tiny dancer. Cagney said Vicker got the nod over the buxom blondes because she knew how to put sex appeal into her walk. She used no cleavage, just walked. Now, I've even read that some of her parts were cut by the censors. Unfortunately, the film didn't do well, but Yvette started getting casts in small parts. She had the best of both worlds. She had a lovely round face with expressive blue eyes that was ideal for playing the girl next door. Yet she had a body that, well, could drive all the men crazy. Well, now that I know you're not a minister, but a real man, <laughs> well... Well, I was hoping that we could get acquainted on a different basis. And 1957 was a good year for Yvette. 
She appeared in the TV show Matinee Theater as the Dark Witch. She had a small part in the Jerry Lewis film The Sad Sack. And a fairly sizable and entertaining part as Roxy in Reform School Girls. He's not a man. He's a head shrinker. Probably a crummy stool pigeon. Get some soft-headed kid to talk and then go spill his guts to old lady Trimble. I say we give him the business. All right, girls. Lights out. A newspaper story read, More Than Meets the Eye. Actress Yvette Vickers can't lose. To female audiences, she's the girl next door. To men, she's the girl with a sex appeal who lives further down the street. Her dual appeal is really no great puzzle, at least not to her. This is the face and figure situation, she said. I guess women pay more attention to another woman's face rather than her shape. Maybe I fool them with my sweetie pie look. The following year, in 1958, she continued to do lots of television, including two Mike Hammer episodes with Darren McGavin playing Mike Hammer. And The Texan in an episode called Lord Will Provide. Later that year, she would also be cast in one of the two roles she would become famous for, Honey Parker in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Come on now, Harry. Let's not be naive. You've made a good start. Now follow through. She's on the brink, and you know it. I don't know it. This Dr. Cushing seems to be helping her a lot. She's tapering off in the bottle, too. Hardly took a drink all evening. You saw her. All she needs is a little help. Yeah. Play the husband right to the end. Once she's in the booby hatch, throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. She said in an interview, It's really great fun. I can understand after all these years why it holds up. It's fun to watch. For the next few years, she continued to do a lot of TV work and a few film roles, like the Roger Corman film I, Mobster, in which her character is just called The Blonde, a junkie at the beginning of the film. The silly but enjoyable Attack of the Giant Leeches was the following year, another bad girl part. It, was, it wasn't my fault, honest. She complained up to me every time you turned your back. It wasn't my fault. You call yourself a man. You and your muscles. Tramp, you tramp. If it wasn't you, I wouldn't be in this fix. She would later say about both Leeches and 50-Foot Woman, I love those parts. Oh, yes, playing the bad girl. They give you leeway, things you couldn't ordinarily express. And then in July of 59, she was Playboy's Playmate of the Month. The sexy photographs were taken by the one and only Russ Meyer. She was under the impression that doing these sexy pictures would help her career. She later said, In retrospect, it didn't help my film career. That much I know. But I still don't regret doing it. The layout was understated and tasteful, and the photo shoot was a fun experience for me. You see, back in the 1950s, a lot of young actresses appeared in Playboy. And she was right. They were sexy but tasteful. The shots more teased the viewer than really showed a lot. I found an article from a newspaper at the time that went, TV starlet Yvette Vickers is having the vapors over the upcoming June issue of Playboy magazine in which she will appear as the Playgirl of the Month. Yvette claims she was talked into it two years ago when she was a sexy comedian type, a la Monroe and Mansfield. But now she wails, I'm a dramatic actress. What will people think? Another article said, the shapely figure of Yvette Vickers graced Playboy magazine a few months ago, and almost in a twin killing, she became the nation's favorite pinup. I got letters from everywhere, she said, and I was told that every lumberjack camp in California had my picture on the wall. 
and she said she was trying to get away from those films that she was known for. I'm happy to get away from those jubilant delinquency films I was making in Hollywood, she said. I was getting into a category out there with the little leather jacket, the motorcycle, and the girl with the gun. I was getting to be a tough little guy. But the pictorial did lead to a part in a play called The Gang's All Here. The Daily News from New York on December 20th, 1959 wrote, The subject for discussion after Wednesday's matinee was Yvette Vickers. Miss Vickers plays Laureen, who gets to dance with Melvin Douglas and the gang's all here at the Ambassador. It's a political satire. Whether Mr. Douglas plays President Griffith B. Hastings or Warren G. Harding, I wouldn't really know, says Yvette, who was not a history major. You see, we only meet in a smoke-filled room. And Yvette at the time was beginning to live a beat lifestyle. The Beats, for which the media incorrectly called Beatniks, was a gathering of poets, writers, and artists who reveled in the environment of nonconformity and self-expression. The people I surrounded myself with all shared an interest in jazz, literature, and social issues, and we took our various career goals very seriously. She hung out at Beat coffee houses and was a health food nut. Music and dance touch my soul in the very same way that nature and yoga do. They're all parts of what I call my spiritual journey, and they brought a lot of happiness to my life. From 1957 throughout the early 60s, she continued to do a lot of TV work. She thought she was on the verge of stardom, just waiting for that big breakout role. And then finally, she thought she had landed one. In 1963, Yvette was cast in a major Hollywood film. She landed a role in the Martin Ritt, Paul Newman film HUD. Finally cast in something other than a B picture, it looked like it might lead to something big. It was only a couple scenes, but it was a type of part that might get her noticed. That's it. That's exactly the kind of film I need to put me over, she said. But unfortunately, things didn't work out. During the filming, Yvette and Newman engaged in a little harmless flirting. Although nothing ever happened between the two of them, Rumors began to spread. Apparently, Joanne Woodward, Newman's wife, wasn't too happy about their hot, on-screen chemistry. In the end, according to Yvette, that was why most of her scenes were cut. Others say the scenes were cut for storytelling reasons, as happens in many films. Only one of her scenes made it in the film. She said, In the end, I was left with only one tiny scene in the beginning of the film. I was crushed. Daddy, this not-too-natural blonde here is Mrs. Truman Peters. How you doing? How do you do, Mr. Banner? Wild horse, Homer Banner, Willie. That's what he used to be known as. And his kind of gangly youth over there is my nephew, Lon. And that was only the start of a few terrible events. She said in the interview with John O'Dowd in Psychotronic Magazine, But it got even worse. Right after that happened, one of my ex-boyfriends got into a terrible screaming match with my agent, a man named Abby Greshler, causing Abby to have a near-fatal heart attack. The story spread through town like wildfire. The coup de grace, though, was when somebody began planting vicious rumors all around Hollywood that I was selling myself on Sunset Strip and picking up drunken sailors in bars. It was all horrible, an outrageous lie. The damage that was done by those last two events especially was incalculable. Most of the interviews I went on after HUD were only for bit parts instead of starring roles. So just like that, my film career kind of dried up. It was tough on my heart, it really was. 
I went back to working in theater, and although I had several great stage roles over the years, I never managed to pick up the pace and get back on the same track in films that I was on before. She was in a few pictures after, like Pressure Point and Beach Party, very small parts. And then she decided to give up acting to take care of her alien parents. She began a career in real estate and did quite well. In her life, besides her film and stage career, she was also very active in animal rights. As for relationships, things didn't go well for her. She was married and divorced three times and had serious relationships with quite a few men, including Cary Grant. But perhaps the love of her life was Jim Hutton, who she had a 15-year on-and-off relationship with. That, of course, sadly, ended when he died of cancer in 1979 at the age of 45. In the 1970s, she attempted a comeback with a few TV and film appearances. She had a small part in What's the Matter, Helen, in 1971, in which she dyed her hair red for the part. And then there was a TV film called Dead Don't Die in 1975, as well as appearing on the TV series Switch in 1976. There's an Yvette Vickers interview you can find on YouTube with Skip Lowe. It was done in 1990, and she still seemed like a fun, wonderful person, almost childlike in a way. She had just done a film called Evil Spirits, and I think she was hoping that would be the start of a comeback, but that didn't happen. It was her last role. She did release a CD, music that was a tribute to her parents called A Tribute to Charlie and Maria. One thing I love is that in every interview I find with her in her later years, she didn't look back on her two famous roles, 50-Foot Woman and Giant Leeches, with any kind of disdain. She loved both films and was really proud of them. She never came off as bitter or angry and just seemed to love her life and was fine with the way things turned out. I've mentioned John O'Dowd a few times. He's an author and historian. I've talked through Twitter with John a couple of times. He had met and befriended Yvette in her later days and did a series of interviews with her. You can find his interviews on his website, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. He also published an audiobook called My Friend Yvette Vickers, In Her Own Words, as told to John O'Dowd, which is the recorded interviews he did with Yvette. In an interview on WFDU Radio in 2017, O'Dowd described Vickers like this, The Yvette I knew was bubbly and warm, very kind, extremely intelligent. She kept up with the news. And he said, She had a great sense of humor. I can't say enough good things about her. And in Psychotronic Magazine, he wrote, Although she was cast as a heartless and sometimes mindless hussy in her films and TV roles, the real Yvette Vickers is as compassionate, intelligent a lady as you could ever hope to meet. With interests ranging from world politics to animal rights, Yvette remained a joyful idealist in an often downbeat world. And, unfortunately and sadly, in the later years of her life, she became a recluse. So much so that, when she died, her body wasn't discovered for over a year. But I don't want to think of that. I want to think about the Yvette Vickers who was in Leeches and 50-Foot Woman. And I find it sad that so many people focus on her passing. Her life was more important than that. To me, she was one of those actors you couldn't help notice. And it's such a shame she didn't do more. It would have been nice to see what she would have done with some more serious parts. 
And, of course, both Attack of the 50-Foot Woman and Attack of the Giant Leeches have been shown on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And while I enjoyed both those episodes, these two films are fun to watch, even without the ripping by those gentlemen. Come on in. Right there. Where, where are we going? I'm going. But you can't. <laughs> Watch me. You can't. Listen, Buster. It wasn't exactly a bed of roses, even when you were one of the magnificent Petruccios. Go home to Mama, Mario. She'll make you a thick minestrone soup, and everything will be just fine. Papa was right about you. Papa said you were no good. A little bit before I go. Um, that last clip I just played was from an Outer Limits that Yvette Vickers was in with Mike Connors. I know last week I said I was going to do that Hitchcock film this week, and I decided not to do it for a couple of reasons. One was a lack of time. I really didn't have time to research it the way I like, and I already had most of this written for something else, so I decided to do the Yvette Vickers story. I hope you don't mind. And then I thought, I really don't want to do a Hitchcock movie. I want to get back into doing more bizarre, little-known films. That's what I really enjoy talking about. So what am I going to do next week? I have no idea. It's still way up in the air. (laughs) This has been one heck of a busy summer for me, but uh, it's winding down now. We'll see what happens. Anyway, I, I thank you for putting up with me. Now, if you've got any thoughts on Yvette Vickers or any of the films she was in, or anything at all, you can email me at daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. I enjoy getting emails, even if it's just to say hi. Days of Celluloid is all one word, by the way. Um, I also have a Facebook page. It's called Celluloid Days. You can always contact me through that page as well, and on my Twitter page, or X page, it's at celluloid underscore days. Anyway, next week, I haven't picked anything out yet. So if you've got a suggestion, something that maybe I hadn't seen before, please let me know, but quickly, because I'll need to know it so I can start researching. And one more request. Um, If you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you stream this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. It really does help the show. Hey, thanks for listening. I'll be back next Wednesday. You're great. Stay healthy. Goodbye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Multipass. You know this multipass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing.